many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. Back in the studio, back from vacation. Definitely have to say a little bit of an apology for that last episode. Once I was done recording and put all the work into it, I realized the sound quality was definitely not what I thought it was going to be, but... um, it was there and it's real and that's just the way that it ended up and that's kind of the way life rolls with you sometimes so um but definitely will be finding a different way to do that definitely got a better sound quality in the studio so we'll be kind of sticking to that from now on but back at it today and this one i got a really um really profound deep dive into a topic that's taken me a lot of time um to prepare an episode for it's something i've been wanting to do early on um but it's it's definitely not an easy conversation there's a lot of stuff that goes along with this one Definitely one of the most profound and ancient bases of knowledge that I've come across on a whole lot of stuff. Law of attraction, um, understanding the universe, and how we as humans and conscious beings and creators of our reality operate in the rules of this reality, this universe around us, the world around us. And this episode is really one that I've done a lot of research on because I want to get it right. And it gets really deep. And I'm still not 100% confident that I have everything down packed. And along with all of the stuff that we talk about on the show, go do your own research. Look at this stuff. If it really interests you, look at it a little bit more. There are people out there who make this their life study. And um, there's so many of them out there. So do a little bit of your own research. Dive in a little bit on these things. Definitely don't take me as the authority on this stuff. Um, but definitely what I've tried to do is is eliminate a lot of the misinformation and the fluff because there's a lot of it in these realms of, of um, philosophy and everything. Um, but I'm going to try and filter out what I can in this whole thing to try to help you understand this. So you can apply these laws and philosophies to improve your life. So before we do, as I usually say on every single episode, if you haven't gone out there and given us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, um, please get on there and do so. It's definitely going to help us reach a bunch of new listeners um, been a lot of great feedback and everything coming through from people looking at the statistics on the show and it just it continues to pick up speed. Again, I say this on every, every single episode, but really thank you all for your continued support and listenership and for following along and, and supporting it in any way that you possibly can. Um, social media is probably one of the best ways to get on there too. Um, if an episode resonates with you, sharing it on social media, sharing the link to it, um, whatever helps get the word out there, but telling people about it and sharing some of the stuff on social media. It's definitely going to help people who are um, addicted to social media and the kind of content that comes out of it. Um, It will definitely grab people's attention. So um, whatever you can do, it would definitely be appreciated. So first off, let's just quickly discuss, um, 
you know, what, what we understand right now in the whole sciencey world of things. So Newtonian physics, which is the basis of knowledge behind Einstein's theories of relativity. Um, they were basically what Einstein had based a lot of his studies on, you know, the Newtonian physics of Isaac Newton, um, you know, determined the aspects of gravity. And from there, it just expanded into a whole bunch of different areas. So we basically understand that the universe, um, you know, more on the larger side for all the you know past century, century and a half or so, um, that Einstein did a lot of his studies and a lot of the people that went along with him. Uh, they studied the larger side of things, the movements of planets and the stars and the cosmos. Um, it was all on the scale of things that were huge, like large, large time scales. Things that took massive amounts of years to be created. And a huge amount of time was spent to study those things because they move relatively slow. You know, we observe things and it takes a long time for them to change, to get data. Um so, you know, that's that's the macro side of things, and that's the larger side of the scale. The macro is big. So in recent years, we've started to look deeper into the smaller side of the universe. And when we started to advance our technology, we started looking at things on the smaller side of um, the universe, everything. The micro, that's where things started to get really weird and wacky. And we developed these laws of physics based on the big things, how we understood the world around us. We understood things by what we were looking at with the stars in the cosmos. And um, Einstein and company expanded all those things and, and confirmed them with mathematics and um, went along the lines of special and general relativity. And when we looked into the smaller stuff, it started to get really strange and their mathematics didn't line up. Stuff started to get really confusing and unexplainable for the world's brightest minds. So what happens when some of the world's brightest minds are unable to explain some of the stuff that we see on the smaller side of the universe? Einstein literally, when, when he tried to explain entanglement, which a very brief explanation of entanglement is when two identical particles, like say you took a photon of light, a ball of, of light, and you split it in a prism, you now have an exact copy of that particular particle. And you sent one off, you know, 100 million miles into space. If you make one of them do something, if you, if you expose it to like a certain vibration, the other one that is all this distance away will immediately respond, which that time scale it exceeds the speed of light, the way those two particles will still communicate. And Einstein tried to explain that. So basically, that's that's the universe's ultimate speed limit is the speed of light. So something traveling faster than that was extremely confusing to, to Einstein and company. So he tried to explain it away, saying that it was spooky action at a distance. And this is one of the world's brightest minds, probably the brightest mind of the time when this this type of information was discovered. And the best explanation he could give it was spooky action at a distance. Now, when we start learning more about the micro or the quantum world, the smaller end of things, we see so many things that we really can't explain. Like how when electrons that are orbiting an atom, they, they jump orbits instantaneously when the atom is heated up. Like it doesn't just move in a very trackable way. You don't see it move outward from its inner orbit to a further orbit away from the, the center of the atom. It just jumps. It moves from one position to another. And that's strange because that'd be like Mars jumping 
from its orbit to Jupiter instantaneously, like it just moves from one spot to another. That's literally what happens on the smaller side of things. And that's just one of many, many, many different things that is completely unexplainable. How crazy things get when we dig deeper and look at the smaller side of things. So where I'm going with this is that we're discovering that everything at the smallest levels of matter is vibration. You know, we talked about that on the show a few times, and it's brought up a lot in these law of attraction talks and, you know, mastering the universe and all these kinds of things, you know, people like to talk about about self-improvement. They get down to these sciencey basics of vibration and your vibe. You got to, you know, have your vibe under control. And, and the thing that leads to the relevance of our discussion today is that, you know, everything in its basic smallest fundamental particles they found was made up of vibration they just found this out recently um they found it out with the large hadron collider you know they smashed atoms together and they find out what it's made of and down at the very end of that scale the smallest of small they found it was all vibration now the fields that lead to the smallest fundamental things being vibration is something that was known a long long time ago um, and what I mean by vibration is, you know, everything from electrons and protons, all those little tiny particles are made up of literally at its smallest scale a vibratory field, a field of vibration. So when we look thousands of years ago at these hermetic principles, the hermetic laws, they say that one of the one of the seven laws is that everything vibrates, everything moves, nothing rests. So how did we know this information thousands of years ago. I mean, I'm talking like 6,000 BC. How did they know these things? It was written about back then. How did we know that? These ancient writings have been around for millennia, and we're now just confirming it with our science, and that's something that has fascinated myself and a lot of the people that I follow, and it leads into a whole lot of different things about understanding and working with the rules of the universe. So what other things are out there that we're discovering that are true that we didn't really ever consider. So to answer this question, I feel like we really need to understand the world in which we live in now. Because there is so much going on with how our universe works that we never really understood. We didn't comprehend any of it. And I guess when you start to recognize that fact, you yearn for that information a little bit more. You're like, well, I really don't know how the world around me works. How... How can I expect to really master my life? How can I expect to really exist in it in any meaningful way? And you start to find ways to operate with the rules that are established. So like take gravity for an example. You don't know how it works. Or, you know, you really don't know how, you don't really have to know how to work with it for it to affect your world. I mean, it's if you jump out of a window, you're going to go down. That's the way it works. That's the law. But obviously when we understood more of the science behind the law of gravity, then we can work with it and we can manipulate it. And that's how we're able to take flight. So, well, that's that's a perfect example of how it works with other laws in the universe. If we understand how they work, we can better understand how we work within them and therefore how to make it work for us in our lives. And we're going to talk about the seven hermetic principles today, hermetic philosophy, which are ancient. I mean, really extremely old. I mean, these things are like pre-Bible type material um you know some of these things i mean they originated from toth hermes we'll talk about him in a minute but they're um you know somewhere between 6000 bc and 3000 bc so very very old 
Um, and from these seven principles, there's been a more contemporary or modern form of understanding of the universal laws. And there are 12 universal laws that we're going to discuss on a future episode, but I really feel like this one needs to set the basis. Um, you know, these seven principles are kind of like the theories of general relativity, like Newtonian um, laws, and comparing them to the quantum physics of today. Like you, you couldn't have the quantum physics of today without understanding those Newtonian laws um, that came up a long time ago. And I feel like these seven hermetic principles are a great basis of knowledge for some of these 12 universal laws and, and the other law of attraction and all those kinds of talks that are coming out of the understanding of these seven principles. These principles were all the basis of knowledge to help us understand things. And, and the more we got the foundation, the better we could understand and operate on a grander scale. And now we have those universal laws to also work with and understand. So let's jump in to the seven hermetic principles or hermetic philosophy. And a lot of this, if you're looking to do some research on your own, there was a book that was written at the turn of the century called The Kabbalion, which is where I got a lot of this from. Um, and it has a whole school of uh, followers of its own. But that's where a lot of this information came from. But let's dive into, for now, just the seven hermetic principles. So to even understand where these came from at first, let's just take a quick dive into that for a quick, quick, quick moment. Um, so the word hermetic comes from Hermes Trismegistus, which his last name, Hermes, was, um, it means three times great or sometimes translated as three times born. So Hermes was in the Greek mythology, but Hermes is actually reported to be the god Toth, uh, Toth from Egypt as well. And Toth was a god of knowledge, and I'm talking like pre-dynastic Egypt, which means before the days of Moses and Pharaohs and most of the, the history of Egypt that we know of. Toth was supposedly there, and he was supposedly from an, an ancient Atlantis, from whatever Atlantean society existed in prehistory. Um, and when it was destroyed, he reportedly settled in the colonies, uh, one of them Egypt, and he lived there for a very, very long time. Um, they said he lived hundreds of years and he brought with him great knowledge and it was handed down through many ages. But a lot of that knowledge was was suppressed at a certain point and eventually it was reserved for, you know, the, the top elites and secret societies. And it really remained that way for a huge part of our history right up to modern day. Um, but the Renaissance actually saw a resurgence of this knowledge and it, it really picked up speed again in the 1800s. But again, it became suppressed when a lot of these secret societies uh, didn't want this information getting out to the masses. Um, and a woman actually, I guess, initially wrote a book about this information in the 1800s, and she published it, but then inexplainably removed it from circulation. And it only made it back out into the mainstream world when she passed away, and I guess her family released it um, as part of her life's work. And then this information was published um, more recently in the early 1900s by someone calling themselves the Three Initiates. And from there, it just started to gain a lot of momentum. And now in modern times, the law of attraction folks, a lot of people like to talk about those law of attraction circles, um, which is something I'm still trying to, to work with and understand a little bit more. I'm trying to understand if it's not just philosophical you know speculation or if it's you know there's actually stuff to it but the more i discover the more i look into it the more i follow some of the stuff i'm starting to figure out for my myself that i think there's a lot of validity to these things but i'm open-minded and I'm, i don't jump in with both feet until i fully understand uh, what it is that you know and i can stand behind it 100 percent 
But the, the understanding of these laws and knowing what they're all about makes it easier to operate within the confines of whatever the rules are of this universe. And we operate more efficiently, therefore helping us work better with it and bringing the things to us that we desire. I mean, you can learn to fly if you learn enough about the law of gravity, right? You can learn how to manipulate the laws and you can learn how to um, how to defy gravity, essentially, by obviously our modern means of flight and everything else. So, you know, if you work with those laws, you can find ways to manipulate it. And the same is said to be able to go um, for what these things bring into your life, these additional laws. So there's the backstory. So let's get into the actual laws one by one. And, uh, you know, keep in mind, um, keep an open mind for the most part, but keep in mind that most of these things uh, also seem like a repeat of the other. But, you know, I feel like they're slightly different from each other, and I feel like each one builds upon the next. It's like layer upon layer. Um, So, you know, I guess when you look at these, they kind of seem like they do repeat themselves a little bit, but just um, they do differ just a little. So the first one we'll talk about, number one, is the law of mentalism which says the all, everything, is mind. The universe is mental. Now, on a larger scale, we don't really see this. We don't see things change in our physical world because we observe them or we want to see them change right in front of our eyes. We don't see things happen that way. But remember, back down at the quantum level, if you're a listener who's heard this before, maybe you've heard about the dual slit experiment, but um, I think it's one of the earlier episodes, like episode two or three or something like that, where I talk about the, the quantum nature of our reality. Um, we talk about the dual slit experiment and, you know, particles will take a determined path based on what the observer is doing down at that quantum scale, that things are not set like they are with the orbits of the planets and what Einstein and, and company were, were looking at, you know, things moved on a determined path based on mathematics. It's not that way in the quantum world. Things are not set. They cannot be explained by mathematics, and that drove these people nuts. You know, the chair that you're sitting in or, you know, table, wherever you are, I mean, whatever you're at, the the object itself is not solid. Believe it or not, it's the atoms inside of it are made up of 99.99999% empty space. As hard as that is to believe, and solid objects aren't actually solid at their, their basic fundamental levels. You have all that empty space inside of atoms, you know, the electrons and the protons, none of those things are actually touching each other. And they say that if you compressed all of the empty space that you could fit the entire human race, if you compressed every single human, all of their empty space, if you compress them all, the entire human race would fit on the head of a pin. That's how much empty space we have in all of our physical matter. So if you think of it, physical matter is kind of the exception to the rule. You know, there's this huge universe out there, but there's also this huge universe on the inner side of the scale. And that's where things go unexplainable. You know, the large side, we can track it with mathematics. The small side, it's not set with with rules that we fully understand yet. And it doesn't seem to want to follow any rules. It works in ways that we can't explain. And one that's been proved through scientific experiments um, that we interact with those small pieces of physical matter with our consciousness. And it's kind of crazy to think about. But um, what we see with this first law, it's referring to that. There's this huge scale of things that make up all this physical matter and all of this huge physical matter from planets to galaxies and all that stuff. It's still made up of these tiny little particles and, and no matter how you slice it. So talking about how the universe is mental, 
Our thoughts are vibrations. You know, our brain waves are measured in frequency, and particles emerge from that vibratory field. Um, I talked about it before, where the uh, the Planck length is this tiny little scale, this tiny little um, smallest length they've been able to find, basically the smallest measurable length in existence, and that little length is basically compared when you compare it to the size to a grain of clay it's the size difference between a grain of clay and the observable universe that's the difference in size between the grain of clay and that Planck length that's crazy when you think about how small those things are so a huge majority of this universe is in this quantum realm everything's made up of this quantum realm and if those things interact with our consciousness like they did with the dual slit experiment and some of the other experiments that they run what does that mean? That means this first law that was written thousands of years ago has a lot of validity to it, that the universe is mental. Our thoughts our, our thoughts are and brainwaves are all measured in vibrations, in frequency. And if particles emerge from a vibratory field or frequency, it really makes a lot of sense of this first law. And you also have to consider that all of us have different perceptions. All of us perceive the world in a completely different way. We think of the world in a completely different way. And how you perceive it is different than how I perceive it. But to you, it's more real than anything. What you perceive of a circumstance or something that happened is completely different than my point of view of the same exact thing. It's just as real to both of us. Just as you perceive life and what's happening in your life, what you perceive is your reality. Just like the Monet paintings I talked about in one of the very first episodes as well. I've said it a couple other times, but, um, you know, Monet's paintings appear to have degraded over time. Like he didn't care about them or he just changed his style. It got a lot more washed out. Um, you look at his paintings, they look like they got more fuzzy and gray and everything. That's because he developed cataracts and he painted things exactly how he thought they should look. And now when you look at Monet paintings, that's kind of the, the, the short version of the story, but now when you look at Monet paintings and you see one that's very vibrant and colored and you see one that looks like what I just described, you'll know that that was a, a, for a certain reason. Your perception has changed on that, and your perception of the universe is the same way. When you make constant observations of something and you develop an opinion about it, uh, you know, you... You make a determination about how something works in the world, something about your life, whatever it is. You think about it and you hold that that perspective constantly. That's what manifests itself into your world. And eventually you do things that confirm that perspective until something changes that perspective. And that's really how placebos are theorized to work. But consider all these facts that I just mentioned. These all give credence to this first law about how the universe is mental and that the all is mind. So the second one is the law of correspondence. And it says, as above, so below. And you really do see this everywhere if you stop to look at it. I mean, you see that the shape of the solar system is the same sort of scale, so it's the same sort of design as an atom. You know, an apple has the same toroidal shape as the Earth's magnetic field. Actually, a lot of things in nature have that toroidal shape. That's that's a whole separate conversation, something that's a very interesting one. Um, but the large structures of the universe are made up, you know, these big, big, huge superclusters of galaxies, billions and billions of galaxies with billions of stars in and of themselves. But these huge clusters take the same shape as a brain neuron, which is crazy. You know, a galaxy actually is the shape of a hurricane as well. All that stuff, all these things correspond to each other, as above, so below. 
like the roots of a tree in its canopy. I mean, they're, they're said to be the same size. You know, the, the tree's canopy and the roots are, you know, similar to each other above the ground and below the ground. Things are in self-similar styles in so many ways, in so many different things that you see in nature, from the very small to the very large, from the micro to the macro. Things all correspond to each other. And when we think about the correspondence, we have to think about the reflection of our outer world is going to be the same as our inner state, which, here we go, we relate back to the first law. The universe is all mind, it's mental. So if things correspond, the second law says so, we have to wonder what shows up in our world based on the state that we hold. The outer world, because the same, it manifests as whatever our inner state is. So if we're miserable, we're untrusting, we're angry, we tend to observe a lot of that in our outer world. I've said you can always change how you perceive your day by changing your state. Um, Tony Robbins is huge on that one, you know, but just because your day starts off in a certain way doesn't mean your day is going to be a horrible day just because a few bad circumstances happen to you. You can change the way that you look at things within a more uplifting state, a more optimistic state. And the things that you look at will also begin to change. You know, what you look for and observe is what's going to show up. That corresponding opinion, that corresponding vibe of what you put out, what you embody is what's going to show up. But that correspondence is always going to reflect something. So you got to remember that one. What are you feeling? What is it that's showing up in your life? But this law of correspondence is all over the place, as above, so below, as within, so without. So we'll move on to the next one, number three, vibration, law of vibration. Everything moves, nothing rests, everything vibrates. Now, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast in many different episodes, that everything vibrates, but what really hammered this one home for me, and this was probably the biggest one that drew me to these seven hermetic principles and a lot of the things that, that, that go down the rabbit holes beyond this, is, and by the way, I mentioned this in the beginning, but a great place to reference all this stuff is in the Kabbalion. Um, it talks about this stuff long before um, we were able to observe it scientifically. Before we were able to substantiate a lot of these things with scientific experiments, it was just a lot of philosophical mumbo-jumbo, right? I mean, you look at some of this stuff, it was, it was just some guy thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago maybe, that talked about this stuff, and, and then when we discovered it to be true in contemporary times, it was an amazing find. It was like, well, if all of, you know, certain certain parts of these theories are true, what else is true? And I guess that's what opened it up for me. It, it took it beyond just fluff, and I asked myself, you know, what what are we missing? What did we just dismiss as this philosophical stuff that was just you know, philosophical mumbo-jumbo, philosophy, like whatever you want to call it, just stuff that was woo-woo, left to mystics and called magic and all this kind of stuff. What is it that we might be missing? Because some of these things are starting to line up. But basically, the scientific experiments substantiate the realization that we vibrate at a certain rate. Everything in physical reality does. But then also our emotions, our mindset, our, our quote-unquote vibe, it's all a real thing. You know, have you ever walked into a room where there's an argument going on, you know, something really heavy going on, and you can cut that tension with a knife? Um, you know, you, you have a really heavy person around you who's got one of those those personalities, whether it's good or bad, and they just infect people around them, whether it's, it's good or bad. All that stuff you can perceive, and you just don't realize it. The same goes for you. Some people have more powerful means 
of perception of this than others. Especially once you know how to operate within all this stuff, especially once you start to recognize that this might be what's going on, you, you start to sort of enhance some of those, those abilities. That's how infectious people can affect the people around them in a good way or a bad way. How some people can just light up a room. Um, you know, it's like that harmonic resonance that also my man Ben Carroll, who does sound healing, he was on one of the episodes um, just recently, and he creates resonant sound frequencies with the crystal bowls that he uses. And he uses that to do sound healing and it interacts with our bodies and it helps you reach a resonant state for whatever it is that you're trying to reach, it's a harmonic state. Um, so a lot of these sort of philosophical things go along with the science that matches along with it. And this law of vibration one, when they've discovered so many things that match up with it, it really hammered it home for me. There's so much that goes along with this law and it applies in so many ways. But it's just another thing that gives this philosophy, these ancient texts, a lot of credence. I mean, where I come from, from my investigative background, all this stuff really started to build a case for me. So I'm, I'm reading some of these things and I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever at first. But then it went from these theoretical laws to actual laws. It, you know, one of the things I also studied as well that hammers this one home was Nikola Tesla was one of the greatest scientists whose I feel like a lot of his work was suppressed in major ways and for a whole bunch of different reasons. That's an episode in and of itself. Um, but we didn't learn about him in school we really didn't we learned that he was like a mad scientist and he was really no one to to follow we really learned nothing good about him and then in recent years we discover that he actually made some of the biggest scientific discoveries in in human history um and one of the things he says is if you want to find the secrets of the universe think in terms of energy frequency and vibration so when he said these things in like the early 1900s, no one really knew what he meant. You know, everybody just took him as that mad scientist type person. But now we're seeing what he meant by this because the scientific studies back him up. And he also echoed these laws, this law of vibration from thousands of years ago. The next one is number four, the law of polarity. Saying that everything is dual. Everything has poles. All truths are half truths. So there's, you know, there's always two sides to every coin, you know, the yin and the yang, the good and evil, hot and cold, light and dark. All these things are two halves of a whole and everything has polarity. They're, they're two equal parts to the same whole. You have a negative and a positive charge when you talk about electricity and batteries and stuff. Um, all these things make up a larger whole, the circuit, the electrical circuit. Because the opposing sides of things, they, they make up a contrast, a comparison, like hot and cold. You know, when does hot end and cold begin? I mean, that's that's subjective. It's it's all based on the observer. You know, if it's is it 50 degrees outside, is that cold? You know, sure it is when you've you know you got a 50 degree February day though, and it's been in single digits like we get up here in Massachusetts. It's not necessarily cold anymore, you know. We 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 know what cold feels like. That's single digits. Single digits is cold, and just be, anything beyond single digits is just colder. But when you feel a fifty degree day, when it's been single digits, that's a nice warm day. That's like shorts and t shirt weather, and it happens here every once in a while. But when it's eighty degrees outside, like it was in late August or in in early August, just the other day, and I woke up in the morning and it was like fifty something degrees outside, that felt cold. But neither one, neither hot and cold, are definitive. You know, it's it's what you're experiencing. Um, 
neither one of them at any time are definitive of each other. They're just points of perception, a point of reference that we've been, I guess, conditioned to have. The one pole, the one extreme provides a reference point to the other and they provide contrast to the other. But the polarity is what makes up the two parts of a whole. But you need this law for so many things in life. It has so many different applications. I mean, it's kind of endless. You don't know abundance without lack. You appreciate things like love when you've experienced the opposite. You know, a great partner when you've had the opposite. So it has so many relevant examples. This one just alone has so many examples of how this this shows up in life. Number five is the law of rhythm. And it says everything flows out and in. Everything has tides. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The pendulum swings to the right is the pendulum, or is it? The pendulum swing to the right is the measurement of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. And this is one that I've seen manifest in so many different areas of my life and in society and other people's lives. Um, you know, I, I had a tough time wrangling this one in its totality because when I first learned about it, it almost made me weary of the good times. It had me worried that when something was going really good, I'm like, okay, well, I know of that pendulum swing, so this is going really good. Something really crappy is going to come on the horizon because that's the law. That's not necessarily true. Um, I've seen that there's there's typically maybe a dip of some sort of in some sort of way after something really good you get a little bit of a dip afterwards um it does kind of go in an opposite direction i've noticed the pendulum swing kind of going that way almost like to give you contrast like we were just talking about but the swing of something really really good doesn't mean that something necessarily really bad is going to happen that something really bad has to happen because that's the law but there are often dips in things and things rise and fall like the tides or like waves and more times than not, I, I've seen this one show up. Something really hard or unfortunate comes right before something good. I've seen that happen a lot of times in my life. But I've found it's it's how you approach those bad circumstances as well. And it helps not bring the pendulum swing too far to the negative side. Because if you wallow in that and you focus on it, then you make it persist. It's almost like you give energy to that negative pendulum swing. So that's really the wrong way to approach that type of scenario altogether. I find that when you have a few bad things that happen, you have to power through. You you know it's temporary because you understand this particular law. You find things to appreciate through the storm, kind of like what 2020 is doing to us. I mean, hopefully this is a negative pendulum swing that is going to go so far in the opposite direction because I know pretty much every single person listening to this, every single person I know, has had some sort of a crappy circumstance come to them in 2020. Um, so hopefully something really good is on the horizon for us because the pendulum has to swing in that other direction, right? The tide's got to come back in. But wallowing in it while you're there in that negative part is just going to add energy to that. And if you don't let it drag you down too far, you end up riding through the storm and the tide has to come back in. And really, if you're in a high place, it can slingshot you forward in that forward direction a lot harder and faster. But that rhythm is there, and it's always going to be. But, I mean, wow, you can definitely manipulate it like you can the law of gravity when you get to the right place mentally. You get in that airplane, you get into that place, the airplane can defy gravity by how it knows how to work with the laws. And you can take flight with this one if you recognize when it's happening and you just understand that the pendulum has to swing. It's going to go in the other direction. So you just anticipate that and wait for it to happen. Number six, the law of gender. 
gender isn't everything. Everything has a masculine and feminine principle. Now let's get the word gender. Uh, you know, let's not let let's not let those those that word in particular, gender, weigh it down. I know that's the law, but I think it's more of a concept of creation, the way that I've interpreted. Um, it's basically like modified polarity, that everything has its principles in one of the two different poles. Something gives and receives when you talk about these genders, when you talk about the gender. Something has to be created from something's destruction or something that does not exist. Sometimes creation comes from destruction, but these two aspects are, are corresponding. They're, they are like a polarity. But it's an explanation into giving and receiving, really, is what I feel like. I mean, it has to happen for the creation of life. I mean, really, you know, unless you start getting into, like, test two babies and stuff. I mean, you have to have the, the two genders to make and create life in most times in nature. Um, yes, you can make a point of gender fluidity and those kinds of things, but I really, that that's separate. I think that whole conversation is something that is using similar words, but it's a completely different concept. So don't let, like I said, don't let that word gender weigh you down. When you get into the nature of things on all planes of existence, the gender concept and the energy behind what we're talking about in terms of male and female, masculine and feminine energy, um, I really believe that this one's trying to hammer home the terms of creation. Energy is, is broadcast out. It has to go somewhere. It has to have somewhere to go and come back in. Energy has to be given and then received in some way, shape, or form. And I really believe that's what this, this law of gender talks about. And, and this really does go along with the talk that I've heard recently when they talk about those toroidal fields like I talked about. It's like the shape of an apple. Um, and they talked about the universe maybe conceptually being the shape of this torus, this a toroidal field which would explain actually a lot of things. Um, let's say that you know the Big Bang happened out of the top of the apple where the stem is, and everything spread up, out, and around on this apple shape. And that's the, the shape of the Earth's magnetic field. There's so many different things that are in that shape. Um, but things flow in this, this universal flow for billions and billions of years through the cosmos, and then eventually after you know, 20, 30, 40 billion years, things cycle through the bottom and get recycled back to that center point. So that means there is a constant Big Bang going on and all things are always being created. All things are always being destroyed and going through this constant recycling plan. Um, you know, but really, I, I kind of digressed on that one. But I mean, just to hammer the home, the, the point of an energy being given and an energy being received is what this law of gender, I think, really refers to. And then last but not least, number seven, the cause law of cause and effect. Every effect has its cause. Every cause has its effect. Everything happens according to law. This one above them all is the one that I feel that the is the law of attraction in a nutshell. And in the 12 universal laws that we'll cover in a very near future episode, there is actually one of those laws that is called the law of attraction. I feel like this one is the basis of what that law comes from. Um, if you have... An effect that comes into your life, there had to have been a cause. And if there is a cause of something, usually it has an effect. If you create the causes of the thing that you want to have in your life, if there's something you desire, if you create those circumstances, if you, you create the causes, the effect has to line up in the way that results in that particular thing showing up in your life. You have to follow inspired action in all that. 
And, you know, we'll dive way deeper into this one. Like I said, when we talk about the law of attraction, we'll we'll dive super deep into that one. But I really feel like this particular law of cause and effect is the basis of that concept of where that particular law in the 12 universal laws comes from. And that you have to recognize that this relationship has to be in existence for things to come to you or why they come to you so you can work with them. And I feel like that's where a little bit of the distortion comes also with the law of attraction is that they, they talk in that law of attraction world that all you have to do is believe in something enough. You think about it, you you embody it, you feel it forward, and then it has to come to you. And, I, you know, I could see how they could market something like that. But in all reality, they just kind of do create, I don't know, I guess returning customers uh, in a sense because that's not how it works. This is a physical world. Things don't just, you don't just have a magic wand and things just manifest you can have certain circumstances that will line up with you, but you can't just wish for you know the right person to come into your life. You can't wish to meet the man or woman of your dreams and then just sit in your house or apartment 24-7, never doing anything, not, not reaching out to people, not seeing people in person, not reaching out to them in any sort of electronic means. It, just sitting in your apartment and waiting for that person to come knock on your door, it's highly unlikely that that person is going to happen. Some sort of cause has to create that effect. And that's just really an immutable law, a law that can't be changed. You know, something has to initiate, a, you know, a cause has to be initiated in this physical universe to have that specific effect. And I think a lot of the time they they breeze right over that in the law of attraction. They, they kind of make you just believe that if you Sit and believe enough, it's going to come to you, but you have to have the cause to have the effect. So that is the seven hermetic principles in a nutshell, and there's a lot more to have in the conversation of this. But I mean, setting this episode up as the basis of knowledge, just so if you've never heard of this before, you have a little bit more to maybe ponder. Um, But some of the other people that we're going to be bringing on in the near future are much more knowledgeable about this stuff. So if you're following the podcast, at least when they come on, it will make a little bit more sense. Or we can use this episode to refer back to. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of stuff out there on this. And I hopefully have filtered out a lot of this to bring it down to really a layman's terms. Because some of it gets a little bit mystical and woo-woo. Some gets a little more science And some of it just goes on and on and on about um, you know philosophy and the, the history of all these kinds of things. Now, if you're new to this, if you've ever heard of any of these kinds of things... Um, if you're listening to this and you're kind of thinking about how hippie or occult or esoteric these kind of things are, um, there's a lot of people who feel the same way, myself included. Um, I, I felt that way myself until I looked into a lot of these kinds of things. And, and to be honest with you, I found that a lot of the way that our opinions were developed were really conditioned over centuries, really, um, of trying to mysticize this material so people would shy away from it and not pursue it. Um, you know, I feel like this this is what that forbidden tree of knowledge really was, that that uh, the fear was used to control people to stay away from this knowledge. And it was done by people who were in some sort of form of control, because if people become powerful enough to you know bring a lot of things into their life that they desire, I feel like that essentially could balance the playing field. And if you're a person who is in power and you don't want to lose your power no matter what, I could see how you would want to suppress that knowledge, how you would want to 
keep people from gaining that knowledge to level the playing field. So you'd want to suppress it in any way that you could. So um, they created fear, they created buzzwords, they created concepts that made people steer clear from it. Um, you know, they, they would call it magic and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they looked at Toth in all of the ancient teachings as having, uh, you know, uh, the knowledge of magic and everything. But I mean, I'm of the mindset that I think all forms of what people might consider magic, and I'm not talking like David Blaine or people doing you know magic tricks, but I, I think things that we can't understand are technologies and sciences that, uh, you know, they, they would call magic technology and science that were misunderstood. I mean, I think back to the story that I heard about, I think it was World War One or World War Two, where this plane had to make an emergency landing on a very remote island where it was nothing but tribes people. And so you have this this huge plane, and these people have never seen one of these things up close, maybe seen them flying by in the sky. Um, but this this plane lands on their island. They've never seen anything like it. These strangely dressed men come out of it. Um, and I remember the story of they they, they had packets of like uh, ready-to-eat meals, the MREs, and they would give it to these people, and they gave them some clothing and all that kind of stuff. Like they were just coming out with these these wonderful gifts for them out of this magical flying machine, this giant bird, this metal bird. Um, and just as quick and abruptly as they showed up, these guys ended up doing what they had to do, and they took off. And to this day, the people who live on that island will build something that looks like that plane out of hay and sticks and twigs, and they will set it on fire to hopefully get those gods to return to bring them the gifts that they brought them that one time. They're like a legendary type of god that came from the sky. And, you know, that that could be said about a majority of the, the, the mystical beings from the past. They could have just been someone who had a bit more knowledge. Um, they had more technology than maybe um, everybody else around them. So it was just technology misunderstood. It was knowledge misunderstood, and therefore um, people saw them as something higher, a deity, whatever you want to call it. But... Um, I feel like a lot of those things were misunderstood. I mean, even in, in Massachusetts, in Salem, we had the witch trials. They would call people witches if you knew how to do certain things. I mean, who knows what that whole situation was about if it had darker stuff behind it. I'm not too familiar with, with witchcraft and everything. Uh, but I mean, back then there was... Um, the paranoia of witches. And I mean, even if you learned... Even if you figured out how to swim... Um, they would consider you a witch, so they would throw you in water. And if you sunk, you died a, a you know a, a good person. If you swam and made it to shore, then they would hang you for being a witch. And it just it just just goes to show you of misunderstood concepts and philosophies. Just a couple of examples of those kinds of things. But really, if if you look at some of the most successful people on the planet. And I'm not talking some of the mega elite because I've discovered recently with a lot of the things that are going on in this world in 2020, um, there's a lot of really wacky and screwed up things going on out there with rituals and some really, really dark stuff. And um, I'm talking some some really influential folks who have the good hearts, who are into a lot of these concepts. They're here for the general good. They're doing a lot of good things for humanity. And these people followed a lot of what these laws were, and they studied these teachings, and they worked with them, and the 12 universal laws, and they did this to bring a lot of things into their life and really master themselves and master their life. And once I started to look into these laws, and I saw the people that were following them, and the things that they said about these things, like in the movie The Secret, if you haven't seen that one, 
definitely go check that one out. It would probably tie a lot of these things in for you in a, in a very profound way. Um, but when I see this stuff, I don't want to just read its content. I want to know its origin. I want to know its validity. I want to know its proven scientific truthfulness or veracity. You know, when when I see all that stuff and it comes from a source that seems trustworthy, I say, okay, um, if it doesn't look like it's been distorted through the centuries, it's through centuries of depression, uh, of suppression, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say, okay. I mean, when you look at a lot of the, the biblical teachings, those things were distorted by the Emperor Constantine. Um, you know, the Bible, as a matter of fact, it was had a lot of things taken out of it. And that's why I have a hard time following the Bible as it's written now, because I know a lot of stuff was taken out and suppressed for the continued rule of that particular emperor, that, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, and, and sometimes when I find something that kind of goes against the grain of those kind of things that I, I can see were either influenced by, you know, not so good people of the past or, you know, empirical monarchs, people who just wanted power and control. I look into those things a little bit more as, as to sort of like, why was this person who was so obsessed with control, why did they go against this thing so much? And often when I dig in and find out like, oh, they were against it because it, it puts the power back in the hands of the beholder and it levels the playing field rather than in the power of the monarch. It balances the scales. And I see that's probably why they wanted it suppressed, which means it adds a little bit more fuel to my fire for me to dig into that a little bit deeper. And I often find out, okay, this, this stuff has some potential to it and it's maybe a bit believable. But I feel like when you dive into these laws, you'll find that things start to have a deeper meaning and understanding, that you, you find more into the basic things of life. You tend to notice and acknowledge things a little bit more often. Things get a little more interesting. Like if all of these things are true, what if all these, these crazy concepts I talk about on the podcast, what if all these things are actually true? What if all these things are just stuff that we haven't been told so that our health is in the pits, our minds are in the pits, we're easily controlled. What if all these things actually exist and we have a whole new world of potential out there? You know, what if there is that law that says, oh, there's this pendulum swing going on, things are going kind of bad, I just need to ride it because remember that whole law of correspondence, you know, something bad is going on, I need to stay present so I don't get weighed down on it because that pendulum swing is going to go in the other direction and that tide's going to come back in and I want to be ready with a positive mindset when it does. But instead, we're often fed pharmaceuticals. We're fed fear. And without going to down in the dumps because I know that's where these conversations often go because it's a, it's a harsh reality to realize sometimes, we put the power back in our hands when we start to think of the what ifs. And what potentials might be out there for us. And life gets a lot more interesting. It gets a lot more fun. And I feel like the more you understand these things and work with them, the more well-versed you get, like with any skill, you'll sharpen that ax that you're working with when you start to work with the laws that they, they talk about here. And if your life starts to reflect the positive things back to you, what do you have to lose? Like the law of correspondence, right? Cause and effect. And I feel like the more you understand and work with these laws, the more well-versed you get. Like with any skill, you start to sharpen that axe and you start to work with these things and you work with these laws and your life starts to reflect things. It starts to reflect things like the law of correspondence. 
Um, you know, you have the cause and effect things that come into your life, right? So I guess what do we have to lose? We look into these things a little bit more. It tends to be something great. Then we start to work with things and things just start to improve. And life gets a lot more interesting and magical from there. All right, folks. I think we've hammered this one home pretty well. Um, interesting stuff. Like I said, get out there and dig into it a little bit more. Going to leave you with a song on this one with uh, with Soul Rising, which he actually has some new material coming out. My man Brandon, a.k.a. DJ Soul Rising. Um, he sent me this one featuring Koala Kaloos. He shared this one with me a few weeks ago. Um, so thank you for that, my man. And, uh, you know, I really thank you as well for being so influential on this podcast. Um, you know, he's uh, provided the music for the for the podcast and uh, two different intros that we've had and, and all the music that we've had on here. And I've had so many listeners share with me about how they enjoy the music. And I know he's picking up a lot of speed. He's um, huge into the yoga world. A lot of people who practice yoga in these these mass groups. Um, you know, play this stuff and, and post a lot of it. And I know a lot of people have enjoyed this material that I've shared and they've made playlists from his stuff. So um, definitely grateful for his involvement with the show. And definitely thank you for this one, my man. He sent me this track and it's called Luna. Until next time, work with those laws the best that you can uh, to master your life. Keep developing yourself, sharpening your pencil, so you can write in that book of life of yours in a very purposeful and powerful way. Most importantly, keep living. See you next time.